0: Thank you for joining us as we study God's Word together. This week we are starting a new study on exploring end time events. Ladies, we live in exciting times, and I am really excited about this class. I have wanted to teach on Bible prophecy for a long time. Over the next several weeks, we are going to be taking a journey through Bible prophecy, examining the end time events and how it affects the way we live now and into eternity now a lot of times when you talk about in time events you automatically think of the book of revelation don't you well ladies this is not a study of the book of revelation we are going to be examining in time events like the rapture the imminent return of jesus christ the second coming of christ and much more we will be looking at history to help us understand why these events will take place. Now some people shy away from prophecy because they think it's too hard to understand and they think it's a bit intimidating. But we're going to make this fun and we're gonna break it down where we can all understand it. We will have the multimedia presentation to help visually understand and we will hear from various Bible scholars through video and audio clips. Now each week, as we study what the Word of God says about these events, we will see them unfold before us. Now my goal for this class is not to just study biblical eschatology, meaning the study of future biblical events, but that it would stir in your heart as it has mine An earnest longing for Christ's return I pray by the time we finish this study that your view of this life as we know it today will change forever I pray you will find yourself looking at the everyday circumstances of your life through the eyes of eternity and that God's ultimate plan for each and every one of us becomes clear to give you a sneak preview of what we're going to be studying over the next several weeks I have put together a basic prophetic timeline which starts with the rapture the second coming of Christ and the great white throne judgment now there's going to be some events that take place in between these events like the tribulation which is a seven year period of time the millennium which is a thousand year period of time and of course eternity forever now just so we kind of get a little view of what these words mean i'm just going to give you a quick definition okay when we talk about rapture we're talking about the church that when the church leaves the earth physically and meets christ in the air tribulation this is a seven-year period of judgment and calamities that will intensify as time passes. Now the last three and a half years of the Tribulational Period will be the worst. We believe that the church will be taken out before the Tribulation begins. And then we have the Second Coming of Christ. Now Christ here will physically return to the earth at the end of the Tribulational Period. What this means is that when we talk about the second coming, the first coming, Christ physically came to the earth to die on the cross for our sins. So that was the first coming and that's why they call this the second coming. Then you have the millennium. Now millennium means 1,000. So there is going to be a 1,000 year period of peace on earth among people and nations. Christ will reign on his throne as king. And then there is the white throne judgment, where you see the final judgment for those who have rejected Christ. Now, each week we will break down this prophetic timeline, examining what scripture says, and then filling in the details of these events as well as other events that take place on this prophetic timeline as well. There are also different opinions among liberal and conservative Christian scholars as to the exact order of the events surrounding Christ's return so when you get into prophecy you have to understand that there is a lot that is unknown there's a lot that is mystery so God doesn't tell us everything so we're not going to be dogmatic about the timing per se but we can agree on the essentials of prophecy and that is that Christ is coming back, as He promised in Scripture. Ladies, did you know that there are over 300 passages in the Bible that deal with the return of Jesus Christ? And many of these passages indicate that He can come at any moment. It says in Matthew twenty four forty four, Therefore you also be ready for the son of man is coming at an hour you do not expect. And then Christ said in John 14:3, "And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am there you may be also." Now we are going to be examining these scriptures in other classes in great detail. But the scripture is very clear here, isn't it? Christ is coming back and we need to be ready for his return. It says in Mark chapter 13 verses 32 to 33 but of that day and hour no one knows not even the angels in heaven nor the Sun but only the Father. Take heed watch and pray for you do not know when the time is ladies we can't set dates as to when Christ will return right because we don't know it says right here in scripture no one knows the day or the hour but notice that it also says take heed watch and pray for you do not know when the time is ladies we need to be ready Christ can come at any moment and we need to be ready we are to live as if Christ is returning today, but prepare as if he will tarry. Now, as we have said, there are different views about the timing of the end time events. Now, our pastor here and I believe in the dispensational, premillennial, pre tribulational view. Wow, I know that sounds like a lot of big words, but it breaks down really easily. Let's go through it. For example, dispensational. Dispensation basically means that we believe that God deals with different groups of people at different stages of time. And then premillennial. Now notice within this word millennial, it represents the millennium on our prophetic timeline. It is a thousand year period of time. Now we will go into what happens in this time period at a later time in another class. Then notice the prefix pre in front of it means before, right? And this has to do with the time period of Christ's second coming. So we believe that Christ's second coming comes before the millennial period. Our next view is pre-tribulational. This has to do with the timing of the rapture of the church. Now again, notice within the word is tribulation. This represents the tribulation period on our prophetic timeline, which is a seven year period, which we will go into again at a later time in more detail. And again, you see the prefix pre in front of it, meaning before. So this has to do with the time period of the rapture of the church. So we believe that the rapture of the church will occur before the tribulational period. This will all become clear as we continue in our study over the next several weeks. Now the reason for so many different views is in the way scholars interpret the scripture. We base our beliefs on a literal interpretation of scripture, which is a conservative view. But as we see, there are even some conservatives that differ. Old Testament prophecies about the kingdom harmonize best with the premillennial view. In Interpreting scripture, some also take the allegorical approach, which is a non-literal approach. It is more like a, a good story or a fairy tale. Now, the allegorical approach came into practice many, many years ago. When scholars were studying the scripture, they had no problem taking, for instance, John 3, 16, literally. But when it came to the book of Daniel, Ezekiel, and particularly the book of Revelation, they switched to an allegorical method because they simply couldn't understand it. And they believed that it was a good story about how good versus evil will play out in the end times. Now just so you get a feel for the different views out there, I will briefly go through them. Basically breaks down into two groups. You have the Preterist and the Futurist. Now the Preterist believe that the second coming of Christ and the great white throne judgment are all past events and that the book of Revelation was fulfilled in AD 70. Now in AD 70, the Roman army came and they devastated the city of jerusalem they destroyed the temple and dispersed the jews to the four corners of the earth so the preterists believe that the book of revelation is more of a story about what happened rather than a literal interpretation of future events to come they also believe that the universe we live in now is the new heavens and the new earth promised in 2 Peter 3 13 and Revelation 21 they believe that all prophecies have been already fulfilled whereas the futurists which we believe because we believe that there are some events and some prophecies that will be fulfilled in the future now this is where there becomes Several different views as to the timing of the events. Because we believe that there are events that are yet to come, it is up to interpretation of the scripture as to when these events will take place. For instance, when it comes to the second coming of Christ, as we said before, we believe in the dispensational pre millennial view, right? That Christ will come back to the earth before. The thousand year millennial time period, a time of peace on earth, which will be after the seven year tribulation. Now, there is also the all millennial view. Notice the prefix a. Anytime you put an a in front of a word, it negates the meaning. So, the all millennialists do not believe in a literal one thousand year millennial period, instead, They believe we are in a spiritual sense right now in the millennium and that Christ will one day return followed immediately by the final judgment. So they do not believe in a future millennium. Then you have the postmillennialist, which notice the prefix, post, meaning after, right? So they believe that the second coming of Christ will be after the thousand year millennium. Okay, now I made a distinction in the beginning that we believe in a dispensational premillennial view, right? Well, there is also what they call a historical premillennial view. The historical premillennialists believe like we do that the second coming of Christ will come before the thousand year millennial period but where we differ is the fact that they believe that the church will go through the tribulation period whereas we believe that the church is going to be raptured out before the tribulational period. Now the dispensational premillennialist view is the only one that believes that the rapture of the church and the second coming of Christ are two separate events. The historical premillennialist also believe that the church has replaced the nation of Israel as God's covenant people whereas we as dispensationalists believe that the church and Israel are two distinct groups with whom God has a divine plan so that's not too bad right it's pretty self-explanatory if you look at the prefixes remember a negates. So they believe, that all-millennials believe there's no future millennial period. Post means after. So they believe that the second coming of Christ will come after the millennial period. And then, of course, pre means before. And so we believe that the second coming of Christ comes before the thousand-year millennial period. Now I mentioned that we believe that the rapture of the church and the second coming are two separate events now we just covered the second coming of Christ now let's go over the views for the rapture of the church and of course there are also different views as to when this will take place but if we take the same principles we just used in the millennial view with the second coming of Christ to the timing of the rapture it will not be so hard to understand okay so when we talk about the rapture remember it means that the church will leave the earth and meet Christ in the air now the different views have to do with when the rapture will take place in regards to the seven-year tribulational period okay so remember our view is the dispensational premillennial pre-tribulational view so we're going to concentrate on the pre-tribulational part notice the prefix again pre so that means before so we believe that the rapture of the church will take place before the seven-year tribulation we believe this is a view supported in scripture and it says in romans 5 9 and 1 thessalonians 1 10, that we will be saved from wrath to come. Now, perhaps the strongest proof is the fact that up to Revelation 6, the church is mentioned many times. But from Revelation 6 to 19, which is the tribulational period, the church on earth is not mentioned. So this supports that we will not be here during the Tribulational Period. Now there is also a mid-tribulational view. Now notice the prefix mid which means middle, right? So they believe that the church will continue on earth through the first three and a half years of the Tribulational Period and then be raptured out. So they take that seven years of the Tribulation, they cut it in half, so they have a first half of three and a half, a second half of three and a half, and right in the middle, they'll be raptured out. And then there is a post-tribulational view, and we see here the prefix post, meaning after. So they believe that the church will be raptured after the seven-year tribulation. Now the mid-tribulational and the post-tribulational theory can both be refuted by Paul in 1 Thessalonians 5 9 where he says we will be saved from the wrath to come now there's a fourth view and that is called the partial rapture view now this theory is not associated with the time of the rapture in relation to the tribulational period but rather with who is being raptured it is contended that not all believers will be taken, but rather only those who are watching and waiting for the event. Well, ladies, this theory is refuted by one little word in 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty-one, where Paul says that we shall all be changed, not just part, but all. So as you can see, there are a lot of different views as to when the rapture of the church will happen but one thing that is clear ladies is that Christ is coming back for his church so remember the only one that you really have to remember is the view that we believe in and that is the pre-tribulational the dispensational pre-millennial pre-tribulational view we don't have to worry about the others, but I just wanted you to be aware that they were out there. Ladies, the one thing that stands out through all of these views is the fact that we need to be ready, right? That Christ is coming and he can come at any moment. For it says in Matthew 24:44, "Therefore you also be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect." Ladies, at an hour. You do not expect the only way that we can be ready for Christ's return is that we have accepted Jesus Christ as our Savior if your name is not in the book of life you will not be raptured up you will not go if you have not accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior if you have not accepted his death burial and resurrection then you need to do so immediately. It is only through Jesus Christ that we may enter into heaven and live with God throughout eternity, forever. It is not of our own works. It is not whether we've been a good person or we go to church, but it is by the grace of God, it is a gift from Him. Ladies, Christ can come at any moment, as we will see throughout this study, so don't delay. If you don't know Jesus Christ is your Savior, stop right now and ask Him into your heart. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That says all Scripture. Ladies, it's all 66 books are given by inspiration of God. And we will see through Scripture what God has revealed to us about the end time events. All the Old Testament and the New Testament can be understood as a progressive unfolding of God's plan and purpose. Now what I found fascinating was from Adam until the time of Abraham there were only Gentiles so that's from Genesis up to Genesis 12 and then from Genesis 12 to Acts 1 you now see the Gentiles and the Jews and then from Pentecost which is Acts chapter 2 through Revelation 22 you now see Gentiles, Jews and Christians so you really see a progression there don't you well Satan had a plan too and his plan was to destroy God's plan think about the time period of Adam to Abraham from the beginning of creation Satan tried to frustrate the plan of God by tempting Adam and Eve to disobey God because he knew the consequences of disobedience was separation from God. And then as you look at the next picture on our time chart here, that he prompted also Cain, which was Adam's oldest son, to reject the worship of God. And knowing that his brother Abel was faithful to God, well, Satan prompted Cain to kill his brother thinking he could stop man from worshiping God but God intervened again and he gave Adam and Eve another son named Seth which means the appointed one well Seth carried on the line of faithful followers of God and then Satan well he began to lead man into such vile corruption that God removed everyone in the great flood except Noah and a select few who then continued to carry on some faithful followers. Well, Satan continued to try and try to thwart God's plan, and he had his hand in the Tower of Babel, which was man's secularism and false worship. But God intervened again, and he raised up a righteous man, Abram. Well, this brings us to where we see that God made a promise with Abram which we know as the Abrahamic covenant. Ladies, this is really exciting here, and it shows history's direction. Abram was given wonderful covenant promises. Let's look over at Genesis chapter 12, verses one to three. Please notice the words, I will, as you read it. Let's look at verse one. Now the Lord had said to Abram, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to the land that I will show you. Now look at verse 2. It says, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. And then God goes on in verse 3. He shows that not only will he make him a great nation, make his name great, and make him a blessing, but look, he says, but that he would bless those who bless him and curse those who curse him. Let's look at that. It says, I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Ladies, this is an unconditional, everlasting covenant between God and Abram. God said, Go and I will show you a land. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. It is all about God. He said, I will. Ladies, through this study, we will see how this covenant plays out in end time events. Well, Satan, he's still trying. And he tried so hard to thwart God's plan, but he couldn't. So we have seen up to this point, That there were only Gentiles but now through this covenant the Jewish nation would be born please listen to dr. Twitty as he talks about the Abrahamic covenant
1: Abraham was to be the father of many nations but God called him to be the father of one nation in particular Israel And so God entered into a covenant relationship with Abraham. From then on, his male descendants would be circumcised as a sign of the covenant from Genesis 17, verse 10. In Genesis 17, verse 8, God promised Abraham it would be theirs as an everlasting possession. He would also bless those who blessed them and curse those who cursed them. Abraham and his nephew Lot prospered on the fertile plains of Canaan. They also ran the risk of being contaminated by Canaanite practices, which God looked upon as sinful abominations.
2: Most people have heard the words Sodom and Gomorrah. But many people do not know what the words mean. They're names of cities found in the Bible in the Old Testament. They were cities that were here at one time in the distant past five major cities of the plain, just south of the Salt Sea, or today it's known as the Dead Sea. They were thriving cities here in the land of Israel. But they were full of wickedness, and they were an abomination in the sight of God.
1: The people of the land of Canaan worshipped Baal and Dagon, among other false gods. Their practices of worship were sadistic rituals of unspeakable acts, including the sacrifice of children. The Lord spoke to Abraham and told him that this is the reason he was giving the land of Canaan to Abraham's descendants. In all the land of Canaan, two cities stood out among the rest as being the most evil and wicked, Sodom and Gomorrah. In Genesis 18, The Lord tells Abraham that the outcry is too great and sends two angels to destroy the cities.
2: And he sent them to warn Abram and Lot of the destruction that was to come. Look at this landscape today, at one time a fertile plain with fresh water running, flocks, herds, grazing here, and then the judgment of God fell. The Bible says that fire and brimstone rained down from heaven on what had been a fertile plain. One time people lived here, they thrived here, but in their lifestyle they disobeyed God. He saw the wickedness of these cities, he judged them, and they are no more. What was a fertile landscape, a place of laughter, has become instead. A barren wilderness, Sodom, Gomorrah, synonyms for wickedness and the judgment of a righteous God. But the story of Israel continued because God had promised blessings to Abram and his descendants, and they became Israel.
0: As we saw earlier, from Genesis 12 through Acts 1, we now see Gentiles and Jews. The Jewish nation is going to be born. Abraham, remember, was a Gentile, and he was to be the father of a righteous nation of people, Israel. And through that nation of people, God was to send the promised seed, the Savior, to the world. Let's look over to Genesis. Chapter 17, and look at verse 5. It says, No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. Now, remember, names in those times meant a lot. So the meaning of Abram meant high father or honor father, but the meaning of Abraham is the father of a multitude. Look at that. This experience with God was to be a turning point in Abram's life. The promised seed was soon to be born through Sarah to create the Jewish nation. God gave Abram a new name to remind him of this experience with God. God's great call and covenant and God's great assurance to fulfill his promise. Well, let's turn over a few more verses and look at chapter 17, verses 15 to 16 in Genesis. It says, Then God said to Abram, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. And I will bless her and also give her a son by her. Then I will bless her and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of peoples shall be from her. Lady Sarah was also blessed in this covenant. She had been barren, and here she is told that she would bear a son. And not only would her womb be opened to bear a son, but she would be a mother of nations. Well, at the time of the covenant, remember, Sarah was childless. And pretty soon she got to where she couldn't rethink Of how this covenant was going to come to pass so Sarah began to think and took matters into her own hands let's look over at chapter 16 of Genesis look at verse 3 it says then Sarah Abraham's wife took Hagar her maid the Egyptian and gave her to her husband Abram to be his wife after Abram had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan Now, remember, Abram and Sarai were getting older and past childbearing age. So Sarai couldn't imagine how this covenant would be fulfilled. It simply seemed impossible. She was barren. She wasn't having children. And scripture says that they had dwelt 10 years in the land of Canaan. Well, it seemed to appear that because she was barren, the promise of God could not be fulfilled. So Sarah, she tried to help God. Like we all do, we get impatient and we don't trust. And we tried to manipulate circumstances to make the outcome come to be. So Sarah gave her servant Hagar to bear a son with Abraham in order to fulfill the covenant promises. Well, Abram and Hagar did conceive a son and they named him Ishmael. But God, He did not honor this union. His plan would be fulfilled according to His plan, as we see in Genesis 17, verses 20 to 21. Let's look at that. It says, And as for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him, and will make him fruitful, and will multiply him exceedingly. He shall beget twelve princes. And I will make him a great nation. But then, let's look at 21. It says, But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this set time next year. Ladies, we have to trust God. When he makes a promise, he will fulfill it. And so many times we want to jump in there and help him and it doesn't work but god did fulfill his promise and through isaac the jewish identity was born but through his half-brother ishmael the arab identity was born please listen to dr tweedy as he talks about isaac and ishmael
1: while two major faiths now lay claim to the sacred ground of what is known as the temple mount it is important to realize that one is relatively new compared to the other. God called Abraham to be the father of the Jews some 4,000 years ago, around 2000 B.C. Yet Islam emerged less than 1,400 years ago, following the birth and influence of a man named Muhammad. Yet both claim Abraham as their ancestral father. The Jews through Abraham's son Isaac by his wife Sarah, The Muslims through Abraham's son, Ishmael, by Sarah's Egyptian servant, Hagar. The effects of this dysfunctional family continue to be felt today. The Bible teaches that God's covenant promises to Abraham were to be extended down through Isaac and his son Jacob. The names of Jacob's 12 sons became the titles given to the 12 tribes of Israel each tribe being comprised of the descendants of each of Jacob's sons and their families. In time they would be known as the chosen people and heirs of God's covenant promise to Abraham. He is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. He remembers his covenant forever the word he commanded for a thousand generations the covenant he made with Abraham the oath he swore to Isaac he confirmed it to Jacob as a decree to Israel as an everlasting covenant to you I will give the land of Canaan as the portion you will inherit
0: the birth of Isaac to Abraham and Sarah was a miracle by God Abraham was a hundred years old, and Sarah was well past childbearing age. But God opened Sarah's womb, and it was through the birth of their son Isaac that the Jewish lineage would begin. As we saw in our chart, Isaac had two sons, Esau and Jacob. Well, Jacob, you remember, had twelve sons and they would later become the 12 tribes of Israel. Let's turn over to Deuteronomy chapter 14, look at verse 2. It says, For you are a holy people to the Lord your God, and the Lord has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. Ladies, the essential areas of the Abrahamic covenant the land, the sea, and the blessings are all enlarged in the subsequent covenants made with Israel. In Psalms 105, verses 9 through 11, it says, The covenant which he made with Abraham, and his oath to Isaac, and confirmed it to Jacob for the statute, to Israel as an everlasting covenant. Remember, we said it was an unconditional covenant, an everlasting covenant, saying, To you I will give the land of Canaan as an allotment of your inheritance. And then in the Davidic covenant, we see the seed promised to Abraham. It was through David that the Messiah would come, as we see in 2 Samuel 7, 12-16. Well, the Abrahamic covenant then determines the whole future program for the nation of Israel. And is a major factor in biblical eschatology this is why ladies we are spending so much time on the abrahamic covenant and we will see how this covenant plays out in the end times and then in our third category we see the birth of the church at the time of the pentecost from pentecost acts chapter 2 through revelation 22 you now see gentiles jews and Christians. Man is now to be guided by the Holy Spirit who empowers him to live right and to serve Christ. Those who have accepted Jesus Christ in their hearts and believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ are sealed with the Holy Spirit who lives within our hearts, right? He guides us and he directs our life. Ladies, these are exciting times. And as we study the events of the end times, we will see how the Abrahamic covenant will be fulfilled as promised by God. We have had a family feud between Isaac, who represents the Jews, and his half-brother Ishmael, which represents the Arabs or the Muslims, going on in the Middle East for years over the land of Israel. Listen to what Yasser Arafat said before he died.
2: Yasser Arafat himself said before he died, peace for us means the destruction of Israel. We will not rest until we destroy Israel. We will be at war with them for generations to come. Palestinian television recently said of the Jews, they are all liars and terrorists. Uh, The necessary slaughter of them and the murder of them is the only way to secure the claims of the Palestinian people.
0: Ladies, there will not be peace in the Middle East until Christ comes back. Next week, we will see how, down through the ages, God has dealt with Israel And then over the next several weeks, we will be dissecting the prophetic timeline as we explore the end time events and see how this will start to play out to fulfill God's ultimate plan for the Gentiles, the Jews, and the Christians. Until then, God bless.